Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. This is Easter. And uh, Easter, we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we believe, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to earth and He lived a sinless life and He was fully God and fully man and that He was crucified on a cross and He was dead and He was buried and on the third day He rose again to life. That's what we believe. That's what we celebrate at Easter. But I know that as we come to Easter and we come to church and we deal with all the Easter stuff, that we may or may not really be on board with that. For some of us, or at least maybe some of the people that we know, Easter is this kind of wonky sort of religious holiday that has some pretty decent candy involved. Am I right? Oh, those mini eggs. Even, even the off-brand mini eggs, oh my goodness. Like, they're so good. And for some of us, we come, and it's not, it's not even that. It's just you approach this whole idea of somebody dying and rising back from the dead and the religious thing. You, you just wonder, is that even possible? Is that real? That was 2,000 years ago. Has the story been trans, like, translated accurately? Did that actually happen? Is it possible for somebody to rise from the dead? And so you're there, and you kind of look at it, and you feel, I don't know. I don't know what I think of this. And for others of us, we may come to this, this holiday, this moment, and say, no, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that He died and He rose again. But that's a personal belief, and I kind of keep that to myself. And we approach it maybe, maybe just kind of keeping it quiet, or maybe even with a little bit of embarrassment at certain times with certain people. Well, I want you to know that this whole Easter thing isn't just something made up. This whole Easter thing isn't just a good idea. But that this Easter thing has some pretty solid evidence attached to it. That you don't need to be embarrassed about it. There are answers for your skepticisms. And there is something better than mini-eggs, if you can believe it. The biggest question, one of the biggest questions when we come to Easter Sunday is about the resurrection. Because, I don't know about you, but I have never actually seen anyone rise from the dead. Anybody here seen anyone rise from the dead? Alright, so that's a little, that's a little beyond our experience. And so when we come to Easter, this is the biggest question, this is the hardest thing about it is, what about this resurrection? Did he actually die and rise again to life? How is that possible? Well, I believe that there's some pretty decent evidence for that. We know from the stories and looking at the, the, the records of it and, and history that the Romans, when they were given a task to kill somebody, 
they got it right. It was literally their profession. Killing people and knowing how to do it effectively and efficiently was their job. They had worked it to a science. They knew what to do, and they knew how to do it. And not only was, were they good at it, they were motivated. They were motivated because they knew that if they failed in their task, their own personal life was on the line. And so if they said, you need to kill Bob, and Bob gets free, you take Bob's place and you die in his place. That's fairly motivating to get it right. And so when we look at the story of Jesus and we want, well, maybe they killed the wrong guy. Not likely. These guys knew what they were doing. They were practiced at it. And they were motivated to get it right. Maybe he survived. Again, when the soldiers, when the Romans decided you were going to die and they had you, they made sure that they completed their task. They made sure that you were totally dead, not even not partially dead and not mostly dead, dead. And with Jesus, they were wanted to be so thorough that they actually stabbed him in the side with a spear to make sure that he was dead. No one survived crucifixion. Then we get afterwards, and they take the body and they bury it, and all of a sudden they don't have a body. And the Jews are, the Jewish people are, are wondering what's going on here, Where, where's this body? And all that would have been needed to do to prove that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead was for them to say, oh, sorry, we found the body, it fell off the wagon. Right? Or we found the people and, and here it is, here's the body. That's all that would have been needed to prove that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. And yet, they did not ever produce a body. They didn't even have a body and say, well, this one's mangled up, it's probably Jesus. They didn't, they didn't ever produce a body. Which means that they didn't have the body to produce. Okay, so that all, that's all leaning towards it. But what about the disciples? Maybe the disciples stole the body. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good argument, except then the disciples would have conclusively known that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if you based your entire worldview, your entire belief system on this guy rising from the dead, because if he rose from the dead, then you can rise from the dead, but you know he didn't rise from the dead, that means that you too won't rise from the dead. So there would have been very little motive for them to even steal the body and continue to follow him because they knew they would have known that he was the wrong guy. Not only that, but they would have known he hadn't risen from the dead and when, he, when the disciples were questioned and threatened, said, we're going to kill you if you keep telling people you rose from the dead. And they knew that he hadn't. There would have been no reason for them to continue the story. They would have been killed. Their families would have been persecuted. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they weren't going to rise from the dead. And they weren't going to get any reward on the next life. And so they would have had no motivation to die for a lie. 
When we look at the story in the Bible, you think, well, maybe, maybe this was just a good idea and they put this story all together so they could gain fame. But when you look at the biblical accounts and, and the way it reads and understanding that it was written about 2,000 years ago, it doesn't fit that kind of propaganda literature. The disciples do not end up looking good. How many times have you looked at the Bible, or someone you know has looked at the Bible and started making fun of how stupid Peter was? Anybody? Right? This does not make the disciples look good. If you're trying to start a revolution based on the disciples because they want to be famous and they want to have power and authority, then you don't make them look stupid. You also, in... 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't say that women were the first people to find him. That would have thrown off all credibility. And so they didn't, obviously, they obviously didn't write it as propaganda. As just a way to gain, gain a following. They were writing what actually happened. Based on their own personal experiences. Something they believed completely to be true. I think all of that really does add weight. I think all of that really is pretty strong evidence that these people actually believed that he rose from the dead. That they actually saw him after he died. That he had died and that he had actually physically risen from the dead. I believe all that's good, strong evidence for it. And so, I think you can, you can sit there with confidence and believe this, this really happened. But as good as that evidence is, And as strong as it, as it is, we all know that this following Jesus thing is more than just the evidence. Let me, read you, let me read you something. This is from the book of Acts. A man named Stephen. This is after Jesus had died and, and risen from the dead. And the disciples had gathered and they had seen him alive. And, and they were going out and they were, they were telling people about him. And this man named Stephen was out, and he was doing good work, and he was sharing with people about Jesus. And the crowd got around. And this ended up happening. When the members of the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish religious leaders, heard Stephen, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Here we have a situation 
This young man named Saul is watching Stephen share his faith. Stephen, a man who would have known by personal experience whether Jesus had died and risen from the dead or not and was willing to base his life on it, bet his life on it. Saul is here standing on the sidelines watching it all unfold. Saul would have seen everything happen in Jerusalem. He probably was around when all the crucifixion happened. And he would have seen Stephen there willing to die for this. And Saul may have even thought, man, why would he die for a lie? Saul may have known all the evidence, but he still stood there on the sidelines watching, saying, no, I'm okay with this. I don't believe this. Now, I don't know everything that was going through Saul's mind. I don't know exactly why he was standing there and why he gave his approval, but I have some guesses. And I think there are similar things that we all have wrestled with, and maybe we all are currently wrestling with. The fact that if Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead, then that means that I am a sinner. That there is something inside of me that is wrong. That I have done things deserving of death. And that I can't fix it on my own. That I have sinned and I am guilty. And no matter how good I am, or how many good things I do, or how many laws I follow, or how righteous I appear, or how great my status or reputation is, no matter what I do, I cannot fix it. That I cannot fix myself. We have to face face of reality that if Jesus really did rise from the dead, that I need to let Him have control of my life. That I no longer get to be the one that decides what's right and what's wrong where I should go and what I should do, what my priorities are, how I should spend my money, how I should live my life, the people I should be with, the people I shouldn't be with, what I should spend my time doing, where I, what kind of work I should do, what kind of hobbies I have. And we're faced with the challenge of who's going to be in charge of our lives. We're faced with the need for forgiveness. And that if Jesus really did rise from the dead, for me, that He wants to forgive me. And you may not be ready, open to forgiveness. Whether because you don't think you need it, or because you don't think you can be forgiven. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, that forgiveness has been made available to you. And for one reason or another, we are faced with this. 
And I believe that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection exists. But you still have to choose. When we look at this story of Saul and Stephen, we have to see that even though the evidence for the resurrection exists, you still have to choose whether you're going to believe it and what you're going to do with it. And whether that's because you're stuck on this sin or you're stuck on this idea that you can't be forgiven or you don't, you don't want somebody else to control your life, even Jesus, you don't know where He's going to take you or what He's going to do with you or what that means or how it's going to change your life or how it's going to change your relationships, your friends, what kind of status it's going to mess with, if it's going to affect your job or the people that you hang around or how much fun you're allowed to have or whatever it is. You are faced with the evidence, but you still have to choose. And the evidence isn't enough. But you are here this morning. And Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling you. And He's saying, believe and follow me. And you may be sitting here and that, that is stirring in your heart. And you can feel it. It's not just a head thing. The evidence is mainly a head thing. But you can feel it in your heart. You can feel it in your gut. You got those, you got those little bit of butterflies going on way deep down. You got something way deep down that is, is pulling on you. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Now you may be here and you may have been a follower of Jesus for years or, or days or, or your entire life. And I want to say to you that if, if that is you and you are still following Him and you have already made that decision and you have already been totally engaged with Him, that you can have confidence in believing that He has risen from the dead because the evidence is there. And you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to hide it and you don't have to treat it like some kind of mystical thing. The evidence is there and you can be confident because it is real that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead and has offered you life. But if you're here this morning, you've been on the, you've been on the edges or, and you don't know you don't know, or maybe, maybe you used to know and you don't know anymore. You don't know if you want to follow this God. You don't know if you want to follow Jesus, if you want that forgiveness, if you can have that forgiveness, if you want Him to have that control of your life. But you have been feeling Him tug on your heart this morning. He's calling you. The living Jesus is calling you personally to follow Him doesn't matter the sin, doesn't matter the past, doesn't matter how broken you are, how messed up you are, what you've done, where you've been. He's calling you. He says, I love you, I died for you, I came to life again to bring you life. Follow me. Follow him. And if you're here this morning and you're still on the edge, you're still on the fence, you're like, I don't know. 
I don't know about this. I don't know that that evidence is good, but I don't know if that's enough or I'm wrestling with this stuff and I don't know where I fit into this. Then I want to say to you, like Saul, continue the journey. Keep digging. Don't just stand there and go, oh, that that one sermon didn't do it. That wasn't it. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to run away. I'm never going to think about this again. I encourage you that if you are feeling that tug at all, keep digging. Because as we will learn the rest of this month, this man named Saul, his story doesn't end here. And then God is willing to fight for Saul. Which means he's willing to fight for you. And that you may be on this journey that takes a while for you to find where you fit. But keep, keep going on this journey. Keep digging. Keep searching. Because Jesus is calling. I believe that the evidence exists to support Jesus' resurrection. But you have to choose. I hope that you choose to follow him and get that forgiveness and that life everlasting. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.